0: Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Steve Asawa continues our series on the letters of Paul to the church at Corinth. Today, looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And now, here's Steve. Good morning. Thank you very much, Dave and becky and bruce and hannah for wonderful opening just for focusing our thoughts and our minds on the goodness on the glory the majesty of our lord jesus indeed may we just adore him if you have your bibles with you can you please turn to second corinthians um i know it said chapter seven up there but turn back to chapter two please and if you're following along in the the uh, Brown Bibles, kind of scattered around, it's on page 1796. If you've been following our messages for the last little while, you may have noticed a, a bit of a trend in the previous chapters. And we'll see a, a touch of that in chapter 7 today, too. Paul closes off a fairly long digression in which he's defending himself and his ministry. And Paul's bearing his soul, so to speak, regarding his concern for the church, regarding his co-workers, and the results of a harsh letter that he had to send to the church. And he wasn't sure how it was received. We all need feedback at times if we're going to stay on track. And sometimes it's tough to hear those messages. The question, though, is whether or not We're willing to examine ourselves, and if it comes from another source, whether we're willing to hear that. And make the changes necessary to draw us closer to the one who gave his life for us. Let's just commit our time to prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, I just continue to marvel at the incredible love. The love that comes from the one who created and sustains the universe and created ones like us, like me. Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you for your grace and the love that sent Jesus to the cross for us to take our sins upon himself. Thank you for your word, Father. Thank you for your spirit. I just pray that you would just guide me as I speak. Open our hearts and minds, Father, to what you would hear us learn from, as we sang about those ancient words, and yet they still apply today. And as we do so, Father, may you... Be honored and glorified, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When Phil Donaldson introduced 2 Corinthians to us, he noted we're probably looking at Paul's third visit to Corinth. Paul had changed his plans for this visit, and he this kind of gave uh, his opponents a little bit of an opening to pick, pick at him yet again. Well, you know, he said he's going to do this, and now he's changed his mind. You can't really rely on what he says, can you? And Paul had to defend himself and his ministry, the ministry of the seed and grace of Jesus, to the Corinthians. And we see a lot of this in the messages. I'm going to do something I normally wouldn't, but I think it's important to take a quick look back at some of the previous chapters for a very quick refresher, hence starting at uh, chapter 2. So in chapter 2... Verses 12 and 13, we read this. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. And then Paul takes a bit of a tangent. Some refer to it as a digression, where he defends himself and further explains what it means to be a Christian. And some real great nuggets in there. And so this starts from chapter 2, verse 14, and goes all the way through to chapter 7, verse 4. So, five chapters uh, in our Bible. And some think this section was, you know, one of these lost letters that, that Paul wrote. Um, others suggest that it was just inserted afterwards, and that it doesn't fit. I think uh, others note that the style is consistent with the rest of the, the letter. It fits in quite well, and it belongs, and it's the way it always meant to be. And I tend to agree with that one. Second Corinthians 2:14 to 16 says, "But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere." For we are the aroma of Christ the God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. In 2 Corinthians 2.17, For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ chapter 3, 1 and 2. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need as some do letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And Paul goes on to say that this was written on tablets of human hearts and goes on to explain how the glory of that new covenant was so much greater than the glory of the old one. And notes that, unfortunately, The gospel is still veiled to so many. Chapter 4, verse 3 says, We've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. But the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience instead of God. And then he also notes, Let light shine in darkness. Sorry. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ isn't that so amazing and he also notes in here that we have this treasure in jars of clay and that we live by faith not by sight. in chapter 5 verse 12 again he's defending himself and some say if you're out of your, you're out of your mind he says if we're out of our mind as some say is it for God for we are in our right mind it is for you and then he goes on to note how if you're in Christ you're a new creation. The old has passed away, and we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. Chapter 6, verse 3, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path, so our ministry will not be discredited. Verse 11 of chapter 6, we've spoken freely to you, Corinthians, open wide our hearts to you. We're not withholding our affection to you, sorry, we're not withholding our affection from you, but we are holding, you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak to you as my children, open wide your hearts also. And he tells them not to be yoked with unbelievers. And when David Hook covered chapter 6 last week, he noted that the last few verses are linked to verse 1 of chapter 7. So I'm going to start at verse 2. So getting to to chapter 7, starting at verse 2. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. So Paul goes on to remind them again that he's the honest broker, unlike those who are seeking to discredit him. He's genuinely interested in their lies. And particularly, they need for them to bring their lies into alignment with what God wants for them. It's important to note, Paul's not condemning them. He's looking to restore the relationship that was strained because they were giving credence to the, the people who were opposing Paul, who were pulling them away from the true gospel, from the truth of Jesus Christ. So Paul goes on to tell them to make room in their hearts for him and his co-workers. As we've seen, he's given his life and his heart for them, and he's looking for a similar response. It does sound a bit strange, though, doesn't it? He's being bold in his actions and saying, this is what's wrong. But he's also telling them he's proud of them. He's filled with comfort. So despite the things he's gone through, he has this incredible joy. It doesn't seem to make sense, does it? Maybe it does. Remember in chapter 2, Paul wrote that he didn't find Titus at Chirwas, so he went on to Macedonia. Continuing on in verse 5. For even when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for yet I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a little while. So Paul was committed to telling the people about the good news, and he faced opposition There was no break from the opposition. There's no taking a vacation from those ongoing challenges, from the attacks from outside. So Paul was fighting without, with those who were seeking to discredit him, with those who were seeking to lead people away from the gospel. And I'm sure many of us can think of a time in our lives when it just seemed the outside pressures never ceased. Or no matter, you couldn't get away from something that was nagging at you and something that just made life really miserable. And that's what he was facing, that pressure from without. Despite the fact that Paul himself had a personal encounter with the risen Lord, despite the physical challenges that he was willing to go through for the sake of the gospel, he still had to do- to tend with fears and doubts at times. So despite his credentials and his relationship to God, he wasn't immune from feeling the weight or the pressure of the ministry that he was there therefore, And in this case, he is worried that you know, maybe the people had fallen away from the gospel, that they got led astray, that his work might have been in vain. And this comes with being in ministry for the Lord, doesn't it? Sometimes things seem to be going well. Sometimes they seem to be going nowhere, or worse, Backwards. You know what, though? It hurts because we care. At times we've thought, you know, if if ministry was put up and they put the job description up and they told you some of the challenges that you go through, how many people would really sign up for that? And yet, as we sung about this morning, when we focus on God, when we realize how much He loves us, what He's done for us, how can you not but be willing to go through something? How can I not be willing to go through some of these challenges and some of these pressures in return for the love and to show, to reflect the love that he's given to me, to us? Jesus, indeed, is our example. And the more we focus on him, the less we focus on ourselves. Earlier on, Paul had alluded to a visit that had not gone well. And there's a good chance that Timothy was involved in this one. And then Paul goes on and he writes this harsh letter to the church at Corinth. And then, by the way, we don't have that letter. And he also sent Titus to go and deliver the message. And he hoped to hear what happened when he met Titus at Troas. And again, Titus wasn't there. Paul goes on to Macedonia. So Titus, Paul might have been worried that Titus got a, a really rude reception, wasn't sure, even if he was received, whether or not the message was received and how the people were reacting to it. And news didn't spread as fast as it does now, did it? Paul couldn't just look at his watch or tell his watch or his phone to virtually join some conversation that Titus was having with the Corinthians. There's no self, selfie from Titus saying, hey, look, I'm here. It's good. He just had to wait and wonder. Eventually, Paul hears the good report. Titus was welcomed by the people, and he told Paul that he was missed. They are sorry for the situation that Paul had to address, and they were concerned for Paul, so he was ecstatic he turns his attention to this harsh letter, the tough message that the Corinthians needed to hear. And, you know, it's, in some ways, it seems like he's talking out of both sides of his mouth regarding his regret for sending it. I regretted sending it because it was harsh. He was disciplining them, and as we noted earlier, he didn't know how it would be received. I think most of us find it difficult to address problematic behavior. And it's probably not high on the list of things we want to do. It's easier to hope that the situation is going to resolve itself or somebody else will intervene and address the situation so that we don't have to. If you have children, if you're responsible for people at work uh, as a supervisor or manager, and I'm sure none of this would ever apply to a teacher or principal. Uh, If you have a husband, I'm just going to say one side of it. If you have a sibling and the list goes on, you've had to address inappropriate behavior at some point. I can think of times when the message was heard and it was addressed, times when it was ignored, and times when it started to fight. Yet, at times it has to be done, doesn't it? you may remember the consequences that resulted from Eli not disciplin- disciplining his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And in Hebrews twelve six, we read, For the Lord disciplines one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Some of you may remember hearing something to the effect of, you know, this is going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you. And the statement, I think, is made... To show that you know what? Uh, this is uncomfortable for everybody. In this case it's uh, a form of discipline from an era long gone by. One way that we experience God is through other people. In the passage here, God used Titus to comfort and encourage Paul. He uses others sorry he uses us to comfort and encourage others to help us discern God's will for our lives and to point us in the right direction when needed at times. And I should note that, you know, when you come up to those times where there is something that needs to be said, how we say it is as important, sometimes more important, than what we say. It's not about going like this. And remember, with the finger there's one out and there's a whole bunch coming back at the other person. It's not about, you know, looking to feel good about yourself because, gee, they're doing something and I'm not. Uh, If that's the case, then actually the course correction is from the the messenger, is is needed by the messenger. Verse 9 says, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss to us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. In many translations, use the word sorrow instead of grief. Both refer to a heaviness, something that weighs us down. The New American Standard Bible says it this way, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Verse 11 says, For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point... You prove yourselves innocent in this matter. In Revelation 3 9, we read, For those whom I love, I reprove and discipline to be, so to be zealous and repent. Sorrow does not equate to repentance. Worldly grief or sorrow is focused on the implications or consequences of oneself. A fault, a character flaw, an improper behavior has been identified. And where does it hit? It strikes out our pride, doesn't it? What will this do to my reputation? What will others think of me? What's it going to cost me financially? It doesn't result in any real change, however. And it may just make the person more defensive or careful about hiding it. Worldly grief paralyzes us at times and eventually leads to death. It's everybody else. Everybody else does this. Like, I'm no different. What's the problem here, right? We justify these things at times. The objective of Paul's letter was godly grief, grief which leads to repentance and a change in attitude and behavior. Godly grief includes a recognition something is unpleasing to God, and it's a catalyst for change that puts us back in line with God's will for our lives. Godly grief strengthens our relationship with him and with others. Godly grief is a good grief. Not like that Charlie Brown, good grief piece. Jesus was close to both Peter and Judas, among other people. Both experienced grief. Peter, when the rooster crowed after he denied Jesus three times, Judas was beside himself, When he saw that Jesus was condemned, Judas hung himself. Peter, though, became an apostle and dedicated his life to serving God. On a personal note, I used to have a really bad habit that resulted in both worldly and godly grief. When I was a young man, and I use that term loosely, Young could be anything over, under 40 or even more, depending on where you are now. But I had a bad drinking habit. I would usually drink too much to the point where people sometimes had to tell me what a good time I had the night before. Or maybe I didn't have such a good time. And I often ended up stumbling around, mumbling incoherently. Sometimes I got really mean and caused trouble. And there were times my behavior resulted in worldly sorrow. For example, when I realized what I did the night before, or you know, when people don't want to invite you to a celebration because they're worried that this drunk is going to do something really stupid. The worldly sorrow though didn't affect a change in my behavior, unfortunately. What did affect a change was a particular time that I realized what I was doing and I was drunk at the time, was that as a new Christian, this behavior was totally inappropriate. And I don't remember if that was the last time I drank too much, but it was certainly a catalyst for change in my life. Paul rejoiced because his harsh letter resulted in a grief that resulted in repentance. The relationship between Paul, Titus, and the Corinthians were strengthened because he was willing to address this problem and the people responded positively. So there was joy in the midst of the stress of ministry. Verse 12. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your, in your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus proved true. And his affection for you is even greater, as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. So, Although Paul was concerned with the individuals involved in the situation that resulted in his harsh letter, that wasn't his only concern. He was also concerned that the church itself as a whole would be in tune with him and with his ministry. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4, we're reminded that God is a God of comfort, And we experience that in part through other people. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. So sometimes we go through some really challenging things, and God lets us go through that in order for us to go and help others. Pulling away from others, perhaps avoid them, having point out things you need to we need to address in our lives, is really pulling away from God. You may have heard that story about a person who was telling his pastor that he didn't know need to go to church and he could be a good Christian on his own. And they were by a fire and the pastor just pulled a, one of the logs out of the fire. And as they sat and talked, it died down and started to kind of the flame went away. And then after that happened, he put it back in with the rest of the logs and it lit up and the overall fire just got bigger. We need to be in community with other people. We're not meant to do this alone. Even those of us who are introverts at heart Paul also noted how Titus was refreshed and filled with joy. He was concerned about others on the team, not only himself. So we've seen this morning that Paul had a a burden for the church, and that was a cause of concern and stress in his life. He challenged the people when they were veering off course and needed correction. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ... You should be involved in some sort of ministry. Some might be some form of outreach. It might be guiding a new Christian. You might be in a ministry of prayer. Maybe preaching. And the list goes on. And there's going to be at times when you feel the weight, the stress of what you're doing. Maybe even it's going to be so great that you might feel depressed at times, wondering why you're doing it remember it only hurts because you care the church was a source of great joy to paul particularly when the corinthians responded positively to his letter to titus and when they opened their hearts to paul just as he had opened their hearts to them god uses people to make his will known to help us grow as christians And he uses us to be his representatives to others. We're meant to be part of a bigger community, the church. Here, some of the ways we practice it, we meet here. But We also have prayer meeting. We have study groups. And there's lots of one-on-one interactions. And it's important that we're in these different groups in some way or another. Again, we can't be Isolated and say that we're still growing in our faith. We need to be together. Just a, a couple of verses from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in a full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised it is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us all encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. So someone can try to avoid issues by walking away from other Christians. But that's just ignoring the real problem and doesn't negate the fact that something's wrong. The consequences of inappropriate behaviors will catch up sooner or later. And we need to be open with and supportive of each other if we're to grow. Last week, David Hook noted the phrase, do not be yoked with unbelievers, can have an internal meeting. In other words, we can't follow the Lord and try and look like and act like those who aren't Christians at the same time. He said it's like having one foot on the boat and one foot on the dock, and it's not going to result in a good ending. And The last verse he touched on was the first verse of this chapter. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. We can only do this by focusing more on God and less on ourselves. David asked, What things in our lives are more important than the Lord? Today's question is really the same. What things do we need to turn away from, what do I need to turn away from, to repent of in order to align our lives and our priorities with our Lord? Heavenly Father, we approach you in the name of your son and we collectively say God you are good so good to each one of us we thank you Lord for this reminder that godly suffering godly sorrow produces godly repentance Lord we pray that in our hearts we will walk from this place a more purified more holy, more repentant, and more godly people for you this day. Thank you again. Bless us as we separate. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area, or drop us a line at infobfa.church. At Until next time.